This week on the Notorious Scandals podcast. For the first time in forever. Whatever. Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels, a podcast focused on tactics and competitive play for Star Wars Legion. Hosted by Kyle Dornboss, Michael Barry, and David Zelenka, with Jay Shalansky, the man behind the glass. Hello and welcome back to the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. This is going to be your ASMR golf announcer edition. Seriously though, how's it going, gentlemen? This is this is the first time that we've uh, all been together, I think, since Christmas. Oh man, I was confused. I thought you were David there for a second. <laughs> yeah, I almost exploded. Because <laughs> it was just wow. That's exactly how the end of that of that went. That was dead on what was happening. Yeah. So for those that didn't watch the uh, the fifth trooper stream of Las Vegas Open, first of all, you should. But also, it's awesome because in the final, um, I guess the room was mostly empty, and of course, the commentator table is pretty close to the, um, you know, the stream table that the players were playing the final on. So uh, David and uh, Brad Nerfley, uh, who were casting, were basically like a whispering golf announcer style under their microphones. It was a very, (laughs) it was it was it was cool. It actually it had like a very tense atmosphere to it um, yeah it was super so. tense people were like really like focused in and no one was talking and it was sort of like just super quiet in the room and, and it was really strange because like not even like 30 minutes before the room was like just like applause on both sides and just mass pandemonium because we had two tournaments finishing on either side of the legion table simultaneously so we could barely like hear ourselves and then it, just the contrast between that moment and the the ending of the game where we were like really quite like, like oh my god did, did did palpatine suffer like two wounds there or some <laughs> other thing we were trying to figure out you know how many you know, what was going on and, and any we couldn't we couldn't speculate like at all in fact it almost felt uncomfortable even saying what was happening on the table as it was happening because anytime someone spoke above like a whisper like immediately like two or three people just like shot a look towards the the streaming table like shut up, <laughs> you know. Like don't talk. Yeah. So, um, so Luke Cook did, in fact, win Las Vegas Open. We will have him on later in the show. Um, we're gonna. This is gonna be pretty much all about LVO this episode because there was a lot of newsworthy things to come out of it. Uh, were a lot of newsworthy things to come out of it. Um, you guys both went. I uh, unfortunately could not make it, but um, uh, it sounds like it was an awesome time. Yeah, it was it was a good time, you know. Um, I think as a team we did pretty well. We went like twenty and five or something like that. Um, and you mean collectively so, the fifth trooper guys? So uh, the two yeah, of you, yeah. uh, Jay, and then Mike Cirillo and um, uh, Zach Barry, who write for yep. the blog. Yeah. So yeah, we all put up winning records. Yep. Yeah. So so that was good. You know, we had a good show, and uh, Mike made the top eight, which was cool. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, the rest of us all almost made the top eight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and David unfortunately faced each other. So yeah, we had to play you know, each other. I gotta, I gotta complain for a second because, okay. uh, no, and not about you. Just to be clear, my schedule was, oh my god, <laughs> yeah. it was like it was like this. This could this is like likely a world schedule, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, uh, you know, some, a lot of times you go to LVO or Nova and you're like, okay, my first game has like a good chance to kind of be like a gimme game, you know, like it's, I don't know. 
you know, you're, you're going to get somebody that's like there to have fun as opposed to there to win the tournament. And, you know, you're like, okay, so you can t- take it easy the first game. That was not my experience at LVO. I was like sweating through my shirt from the start to the end. And it was, I mean, it was exciting, um, but it was also nerve wracking. <laughs> Your, your game with, right. yeah, so not only did you face David, you also faced Ed in what, yeah. the second round? Yeah, so I played Michael Fay in round one playing Triple Tauntaun, Sabine, Leia. Um, <laughs> he boxed me into like the back left like square foot of my board on turn two because I had three Tauntaun units charging me. And at the end of turn three, I had no core units left. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> but, but you had Darth Vader. Yeah, and he choked out a bunch of box carriers, and it was great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so I won that game uh, by the skin of my teeth. Uh, round two is actually on camera versus Ed Martinez. Uh, also, like, skin of my teeth. Uh, skin of five crits? Yeah. Four. Yeah. Okay. Four crits. <laughs> okay, four. <laughs> um, but it's, it's worth noting that uh, they really didn't need to be crits. Uh, in that specific scenario, they just happened to be Chris. Mm-hmm. Like, them being hits would have been just fine. Um, and then I played David round three, um, which kind of sucked that one of us was going to have to team kill the other. Um, and then, once I felt like I passed the gates, and I was like, oh man, I got past David. I'm like, in real good shape. Who do I get in the next round? None but nobody other than Luke Cook. And I was like, <laughs> well... I thought this day couldn't get any harder, but I guess I was wrong. That would be a world champion, Luke Cook, uh, for those um, uninitiated. Yeah, and we'll be talking to him later, like yep. you said. Um, that game ended up coming down to just a die roll, too. Um, so, it, yeah, it was it was a hard day. Um, <laughs> sure. But it sounds like you had fun and uh, got, some yeah, good, got some good practice in. For sure. For sure. Vader boss going three and one and almost going four oh. I'm happy with that. Yep. David, you ran um uh Luke Sabine Tauntauns, right? I did. I sure did. Um I kind of got lucky in the sense that most of the boards I landed on had some good line of sight blocking terrain pieces. Unfortunately, I decided not to use them in my game against Mike <laughs> from a certain direction. And Boss decided to advance position his way into a position to Reptilian Rampage and kill two snipers (laughs) on the first round. And so I thought, okay, well, I've been in this situation before against Lupo, and I think I can pull my way back. But eventually it turned out that just being down on activations, just it shifted the tempo of the game just radically towards Mike's side of the board to the point where like Sabine ended up on, I think 11 suppression at one point because of just (laughs) what I had to do in that situation. There was just really not much of a way out. Um, But still, I I think, you know, I, I I still just said, okay, fine. You know, I I took a hit. I'm just going to play what I can see what I can do with, with this. And I didn't like crumble or go on tilt or whatever. Um, So, I mean, that was, that was a good thing. Uh, My other games, um, I, I played empire all day. And a lot of other people that I know played Empire all day. That's because like half of the, the field was Empire. Was structured. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, Mike was the only Vader that I ran into. Almost, lit- Actually, literally everybody else was Krennic. And some of them were Veers. And some one person was Krennic and Veers together. <laughs> um, 
So, you know, I was basically trying to say, okay, well, can I maneuver my tauntauns in such a way that I don't get deleted by shores? Can I get Luke to the right spot on time? Uh, a lot of games actually were decided on Luke's defense dice. Um, no, well, not really decided, but more like I'm in a really strong position, and if he doesn't do significant damage to Luke here, it's over. There were a lot of games like that that were. It was sort of like, okay, you have to you have to hurt Luke to the point where he dies next turn, or you lose. And that was essentially what happened. Like the tank DTs shores, it really didn't matter. Luke was just a huge rock star. Uh, Sabine explosions actually kind of the worst explosions I think I've had in a, in a tournament. They, they do a lot of suppression, but Krennic doesn't really care. And aggressive tactics also doesn't really care about your hits that don't pierce. Um, her gunslinger was a lot more effective in just removing minis. And I think that's really the point. Uh, Tauntauns, uh, Sabine and Luke are three huge threats. They exert a ton of pressure on the board and if your opponent, you know, your opponent basically has to pick one and then whatever they pick, you try to slam them real hard with the others to make sure they're punished for that decision that they made. Um, I feel a little bit of sympathy for, for my first opponent who was driving the tank. Um, just about every bad thing that could happen to the tank did. It was sort of like, well, I put a unit inside here. Okay, my sniper is going to pass a crit through your front armor from downrange and just like, not only do a wound to your tank, but also kill someone inside. Oh, I'm going to shoot Luke with the tank. Uh, you do no damage and return a wound. <laughs> like situations like yeah. that where Fleck just completely murders the tank or the Tauntauns get it in on the side there or Luke like has enough actions to put a hit into the tank then jump over it and yank the shores that had just disembarked into melee with him. Things like that. Just, um, you know, those really strong Luke plays that Luke is kind of famous for where he just sucks in units with force with force push and just continues to delete them with Son of Skywalker or other strong cards like that. Um, I love the list. I don't know if it's going to survive um, till Worlds. I'm going to look at some other archetypes to play. I think it was still an extremely strong list. Um, I just, you know, I made a bunch of errors. And if I can clean those errors up, I, I, think, I'll be, um, I think I'll be in good shape going into March. That's all. Yeah, so actually, let's talk. Let's transition into um, talking about basically what lists made it to the top eight, and then um, yeah. as a practical consequence of that, uh, you know, why is it important to look at what the meta is? What is a meta, um, and how do you apply that knowledge to practicing for a tournament? Like in our case, um, you know, we're going to be talking about worlds for the next two months, basically. So. Um, let's, let's move on and talk about, uh, we're not going to talk about each list individually. Um, I did write an article on that. Uh, if you are curious to look at all eight of them, um, but we can sort of talk about them collectively because there uh, are a lot of commonalities. Um, and let's go ahead and jump into that. So, um, out of the top eight, there were five empire players and three rebel players. All three rebel players had three tauntauns. Uh, two of them had Leia, and then the other one was uh, Chewie and... I'm sorry, two of them had Sabine. All three of them had Leia. The other, uh, the third one um, had Chewie. Um, so, not super shocking there, but... Uh, nope. <laughs> notably, yeah, really notably no Rebels made the top eight that didn't bring three Tauntauns and Leia. Um, 
a little bit unfortunate as me personally, a rebel player that likes to play things that aren't tauntauns. Um, but not entirely. It's, I mean, I think it's, it's notable um, because it, it was apparent from before the tournament started that this was kind of going to, it was going to be a good gauge of uh, our ATRTs um, competitive enough to kind of unseat Tauntauns. There was almost just as many ATRTs as there was Tauntauns in Rebel Lists. Um, and I think it's clear which one ended up winning out. Yeah. I mean, I think the answer to that question is no. Yeah. Yeah. No, against the overall field, yeah. I think I think that they can't unseat Tauntauns competitively. In the in a rebel on rebel context, um sorry to throw you to the bus like this, Davis, but Davis did make some errors and lost to a, a vehicle, rebel vehicle list early on in the tournament. I think it had a land speeder in it too, if I It did have a land speeder. Yeah, it was like ATRT is a land speeder and a Luke Skywalker, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which was basically everything that kills Tauntauns good. On the and, rebel side, and to be fair, I'm pretty sure it was Rob Cop, and and he's pretty good. Um, yeah, Rob's also real good. So. so you know, I mean, it was, it, I think it was a good counter, probably to what Kingsley was doing, and it was also um, just a good player playing a good list, and sometimes that's all you need. Yeah. So um, just moving over to the Empire lists, uh, there was there was more variety sort of around the core, and I mean C O R P S core because um, each of them had at least two shore troopers and two mortars. Um, two of them were Palpatine, including Luke Cooks, uh, a couple Krennics, and then uh, there was a Veers Bosk list also. Um, several of them featured the comms relay uh, trick with the short troopers, which we've talked about on previous episodes, and I also wrote an article on short troopers discussing that. Um, several of them didn't. Uh, Mike's Rills list did not have any comms relays, and neither did um, uh, Luke Cooks' list. So... Uh, hardly necessary for short troopers to be effective. Um, you know, certainly good, but I think hardly necessary for them to be successful. Uh, there were actually uh, two DLTs also, two DLT storms among the five lists, but it was mostly short troopers and mortars, um, which again, not super surprising. No, they're, they're, I mean, they're in the Tauntaun bucket at this point, yeah. you know, they're, they're a little bit, <laughs> a little bit too spicy. Um, unclear you know i don't know uh it's, it's unfortunate that i guess storms have kind of taken a back seat and snow troopers are nowhere to be found um yeah i mean sure do the know, same what, thing they just do it at range three instead of range one right <laughs> yeah it's kind of right. you know it's it, it's actually almost the same dice pool frankly um yeah when you factor in the aim token it, it's very similar yeah yeah um so uh yeah, I don't think any. I, the thing that was most surprising to me, I guess, was that uh, you know there were two palps in the top eight. Um, you know, we knew shores were good, we knew tauntauns were good. I mean, we know palp is good, but um, I don't think we've ever had representation in that quantity of him in a in a large tournament. Generally, there's only only one list, and well, generally it kills everything else. But <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Um... <laughs> I mean, Palpatine's good, you know. Uh, I think I think it was a War Corgi that pointed out that um, the last two two of the last three majors, those being uh, Nova Open, Warfare Weekend, and LVO, have been won by Palpatine. So, yeah. Um, I mean, he he's definitely really good, and he's specifically good against Tauntauns, which we've talked about before. Which, if that's your big bad, 
you know, and you can sort of make do against Empire Gun Lines, which is a less good matchup for him, then uh, you're gonna you're gonna do well. Um, I would advise. We'll talk to Luke Cook later, but I would advise watching that final because that is, in fact, against an Empire Gun Line. Kyle Crosser was playing that Veers Bosk list, which is probably the worst matchup I can think of for Palpatine. So, uh, yeah, it was a little weird. Uh, yeah, he didn't have I mean, any snipers. It, it was very different. Yeah, it was very different. Um, it, I think it was strictly a meta call, and I and I don't think it was a bad one. To be clear, I think it was actually a very good yeah. meta yeah. call. Oh, uh, yeah, let's talk about his was. list real quick uh, because it is pretty interesting. He had five copies of Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't blame him. Yeah. I mean, like it's not Me a either. bad bad choice if you expect to play, you know, against Tauntauns and you know palpatine and irg like yep. it's that that's pretty good upgrade if those are the things that you're playing against i mean hunter also, is exceptional against rebel lists right now all of their important pieces are multi-wound models yep yep absolutely i was gonna say like it also kills off those important frontline heroes in republic and cis lists yeah they're usually gonna try to put their heroes out front like dooku and grievous and if you ever catch them out of melee like Oh, here's a name from Target. Here's a name from Hunter. Maybe I have a third name from Spotter. You know, things get a little bit crazy. Um, the only thing they didn't have was scopes. Instead, they had an extra shore in each of those just to increase the ceiling on the dice pool to make it a, a what was a seven black and two white. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's really that's really scary. I, I think I would have liked to see that list at ten, and I think that he might have had. A little bit more play against Luke in that finals match had he had been at ten activations, um, but I think overall, he also had was, zero snipers to four. Right, that's <laughs> that's that's kind of what I mean. Like in a, in a, right. in the Imperial Mirror match, not having snipers is kind of a big deal. Yeah, he was having yeah. trouble killing uh, Luke's red save units, which is most of the units in that list. So yeah, um, um, yeah. It's also by contrast. Uh, Sorry, go on, Mike. He, no, he didn't have any medics. And, you know, so there's no, there's no medics, there's no snipers. So, you know, you kind of, in the Pierce War, it's a, it's a little bit difficult yep. to stay ahead. But it's definitely well positioned against Tauntauns. You know, all three of those shore units had Hunter. He had Death Troopers with Hunter, and then he had Bosk with Hunter. So um, they're just like, it doesn't matter that you don't have Krennix Cunning or priority winning cards or deploy the garrison when you're just mulching Tauntauns when you shoot them with five of your units. <laughs> so... I mean, I think I think Kyle had him. Like, yeah, and, yeah. And we can Kyle talk about the, the game in a little there. bit more detail with Luke, but um, he actually, I think yeah. he actually, literally did have him. Uh, there was a position where the, yeah. the victory points were two-two, and he just needed to punt the center and keep it at two-two and just conserve points. Um, yeah. And he tried to make yeah. a play for the center, and he ultimately lost the unit that was the difference in the in the points victory. So, um, yeah, I actually think uh, all that said, Kyle. I think did have that game until like the last couple activations. I mean, literally no one pegged a nine act shore list right at the start of no, this tournament. No, None of us definitely an impressive effort. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's talk about what a meta is. Like, why are we talking about what the top eight lists are? Um, and how do we use that information to prepare for tournaments? Yeah. And, and I think that uh, to start this conversation, you know, I, I had a few people come up to me and be like, man, uh, what do you think? This top eight was totally not meta. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> it, it definitely was. And I think that um, we need to start this conversation on the page of like, just 
like a meta is not what is necessarily the best a meta is what you expect to see at any given event um and you know coming into lvo the expectation was we were gonna see two to three tons in every rebel list and we were gonna see short troopers and mortars in all of the imperial lists right like that was that was pretty much the meta that was put on the table before before lvo yeah so just more broadly like a meta is not defining the only lists that can succeed it's simply defining the list that you expect to see the most of um like i would i would call jay's list i'm sure he'll talk about this on his cast but double heavy is a bunch of naked stormtroopers and veers uh definitely not a meta list and he was one move away from making the top eight um so i think when we talk about a meta we're not like we're not saying those are the only kinds of lists that can succeed or that those are even lists that are like the best lists those are just those are the lists that you expect to see the most of uh if if you're preparing to to like what when you're when you're going to a tournament you need to think about what you need to be prepared to face and that's why we talk about what a meta is it's it's notable that the meta is targetable right like it's clear that Kyle Crosser decided hey this is the meta i'm going to target tauntauns and make sure that that my list just blows them up right like it's very clear that that was his game plan going into lvo i'm going to put hunter on all my stuff and i'm going to target the meta um it happened to be using meta units in that like it was all short troopers and mortars basically um but yeah yeah i mean i think often like the meta is the meta because the units that make it up in this case short troopers and tauntauns are good units now that doesn't mean there aren't other good units um but i think you're also pretty unlikely to see like a persistent meta that's made up entirely of bad units if that makes sense yeah i mean like you know you you could very easily say you know sabine right now is pretty yep. meta right like she's in most rebel lists um you know uh i think that at this point we can probably call palpatine a a player in the meta i, I wouldn't maybe call him like he's he's certainly not at the forefront of it, right? But he's definitely something that I think that if you want to win a tournament, you have to have a game plan for power. Yep, I would consider him um, a very high skill cap piece, uh, one that is very difficult to use, but one that is also positioned well against specifically against almost all rebelists right now that are popular. Um, so, and good enough against empires, empire lists also. So yeah, you should like if if you're if you're a rebel player and you're planning and bringing a Tonton list. You need to start trying to figure out what your plan is for Palpatine because if you're going to Worlds, you're going to see him, and he's going to be played by people that are good. So, right, and it, it, I think our conversation is also kind of um, we we have there's sort of something behind it, right? Which is you have two kinds of lists. You have the lists that are strong in a vacuum that you expect to see, and then you have lists that are going to counteract it. And uh, you, you basically have to decide who are you? Am I an A player? An A meaning, you know, am I bringing the thing that I think is strong and will appear? Or B, am I going to bring the thing that I think is not expected that is strongly positioned, like Palpatine, like you said, Kyle, against Tauntaun? So let's talk about um, how to use this information practically. Uh, Mike, do you want to talk about a gauntlet and what that is? That's a magic term, right? 
Um, I, I, I'm not sure that it was strictly a magic term, but that's definitely where um, I've taken it from. You know, so when we were testing for, you know, like Grand Prix and, and Pro Tour level events, what we used to do was we would come up with an idea for like a new list or a new deck, right? And we'd say, okay, this idea sounds pretty cool on paper, but it only really survives the thought process if we run it against, you know, these four or five different decks and transitioning that to Legion, four or five different lists, and make sure that it can hold up to scrutiny. So essentially, if we take the current meta, you know, you would, if you've got a new idea for a list or a new, you know, cool thing that you want to do, um, and you want to take it to a tournament to be competitive, the first thing you really should do is get together with some other people and say, okay, what do we think the meta is? And once you've defined that, you come up with the four or five different lists you think um, kind of encompass the meta, and you run your new idea against these lists so that um, you essentially say, okay, you know, I'm, we're going to play this list against triple Tauntauns and we're going to do that three or four times. We're going to play this list against, you know, Veer's Boss Shores and we're going to do that three or four times. Um, we're going to, you know, run this list against Palp, uh, whatever the Palp list right now is, and we're going to do that three or four times. And if, if the list that, or idea you're bringing to the table is unable to deal with those threats, um, that's your litmus test you have established that you cannot beat the established meta and therefore you probably shouldn't bring that list. Um, and that's you, you still, you can, if you want, but like if, if you can't beat the things that you know are going to be there and you want to be competitive, that's kind of how you need to gauge the successfulness or the worthiness of whatever idea you have um, to kind of continue it. Once you pass that litmus test, you can kind of go into, okay, I want to tweak this list to do X and Y and Z. I want a medic here or an astromech there, or, you know, I want to switch up some, some smaller things, but it needs to be able to handle um, the meta in order to kind of deal with it. So that's kind of the idea of a gauntlet and how, how it applies to um, what a meta is. Yeah, I'll speak to that as well. Um, Mike Cirillo and I uh, did a lot of like, you know, hey, can can this uh, Bosk list handle, you know, Tauntauns on a closed board or can it handle them on a more open board or, or what have you? And we sort of, you know, took that, we kind of ran that matchup at least two, three times. And uh, it became pretty clear that if uh, Mike played his cards right and the things went his way, that he could actually very easily deal with a triple Tauntaun list. Um, and so that was kind of, I kept, you know, encouraging him, you know, Hey, you should run Krennic Bosk. I think Bosk is really good against Tons. And it turned out that we were sort of both right on that, on that subject. And we, we ran that match multiple times and we confirmed that. And I think he, I think he only, I think it was a, a, an issue of, of a timing that really uh, hurt him in his, his final game. I think he would have. I think if things had gone a little bit differently, he would have put that triple ton list he faced in the round of eight out of its misery. Yep. Yeah, they did not finish their game. Uh, he was way ahead yeah. when they didn't finish also, if, as far as um, I know. Yep, on um, points. Yeah, we're going to talk. Yeah, time. we are. Um, <laughs> yeah, we are. So let's let's close out this topic real quick. So essentially what you're talking about is like a very intentional approach to practicing with you know, A, you need practice partners, right? We're lucky enough where we have, uh, you know, Team Fifth Trooper. There's uh, seven of us, basically, that are 
uh, doing this internally. Um, but you should, you know, you have a local group of guys that you play with, hopefully, and you should, you know, practice with them and discuss this concept of like, all right, you know, you'll, I'll play my new list that I want to try this time and you play the metal list and we'll see how it goes. Um, and this is why it's important. We talk about local metals a lot too. Uh, this is why it's important to sort of like follow what's going on at these major convention tournaments and then also things like Invader League because those are events that involve people from lots of different locations, including, you know, other countries and stuff, which is, uh, you know, th- you're going to run into those people if you're going to Worlds. So um, it's important to like follow what happens in those events so that you know what you're going to face when you end up facing those people once you kind of step outside your local region. Um, so it's, it's important to follow those and it's important to make sure that, uh, you and the the local guys that you practice with are trying those builds against each other so that you can kind of know what to expect and test your list against them. So I think, um, it's also important to note that if you can, you should try and get people in your, your kind of gauntlet group that are of relatively equal skill. You know, um, the gauntlet, the premise of the gauntlet kind of breaks down if one player is extremely, like, at a significantly higher level than somebody else and the the lists stop operating kind of on an equal footing or where they should is, you know, um, and and skill sorts of take over. You know, a high skill player can take a pretty bad list and and make it look good. Um, Yep. You know, so you, you need to be careful with that. You should test or try to test with people that are of a like skill. Yep. Um, so uh, let's talk about time <laughs> because um, you mentioned that uh, it was. All right. So let's go over briefly what happened. Um, time was an issue in at least um, four of uh, I would say probably five of eight games. Okay, of in the top of the top games. Um, yeah, several players got actual official warnings about time. Uh, Sorry, I guess four of seven is probably the actual. I think it's four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, several games did not finish. Uh, this was also this was not just an issue after the cut, but this was also an issue, um, you know, before the cut. There were several games even on stream uh, that just didn't finish, and it seems like the result would have been. Um, very much different if they did. So, um, Mike, you were there, and you uh, actually were firsthand on some of this, so I'm going to let you kind of talk about what happened, and then maybe we can um, discuss it. Yeah, so, um, I mean, generally speaking, um, first of all, I want to preface this with, I was not an official judge for this event, so take what I say with a grain of salt. Um, I I did... um, interact with like Brendan and Brad and, and Nima pretty significantly. Um, and I was sort of, uh, kind of a, I don't know, like a temporary judge during the finals match. Um, just because we were trying to come up with ways to deal with what was going on. Um, so essentially it became very apparent in the quarterfinals, um, that we had a time problem. Um, and multiple games were probably going to finish on turn four and, and probably not to the completion of turn four. And, um, we kind of figured that out about halfway through those games and the judges were alerted. And, uh, the issue that we ended up kind of running into was that, um, you know, slow play is defined by the FFG's rules doc. 
um, actually refers to pace of play, I, I believe, and I'm kind of uh, paraphrasing what Brendan said on site, uh, and, and it refers to pace of play in contrast to your opponent. Um, so if you're both playing slow, um, Brendan had determined essentially that a slow play warning could not be given out if the players were essentially playing at the same pace. Um, so the matches, uh, the first couple matches that we had, you know, we had to determine, you know, okay, so these players are essentially playing at the same pace. What happens when we don't have players pace, uh, playing at the same pace? Um, and so the last couple matches there, and specifically the finals, we had to determine a way to gauge um, how a player, like, like what, what, what does that look like? Because if you're talking about pace and things like that, it needs to be measurable in order to, to issue a warning, right? Um, or at least it's a lot easier if it's measurable to issue a warning. So what we ended up doing there is we essentially took a stopwatch for each player and during their activations, we click the stopwatch and at the end of their activations, we turn the stopwatch off and the other stopwatch started um, neutral time, like command card time was uh, neither stopwatch was running. Um, and what Brendan sort of determined to be uh, his kind of gauging factor was that if at any point, um, a split was like over five minutes more than what your opponent had used. Um, he was going to issue a verbal warning. And um, I, I actually think it worked pretty well considering what we were doing. Um, you know, we ended uh, Brendan ended up issuing uh, two verbal warnings and a uh, one point uh, warning during the finals match. Uh, it wasn't just one player to be clear, um, because clearly, if you're if you're kind of chess clocking it over splits like that, you have to be fair. If, if one person all of a sudden starts um, being slower than like visibly slower than the other, and kind of the splits go the other way, um, you need to issue a warning to them too, because they are now no longer keeping up the pace of play. Um, Yeah, uh, so that's that's essentially what happened. Um, I think that we probably need to have a conversation about the implications of it. Yeah, I mean, essentially what you're describing is a chess clock. Like you used, you and Brendan used the chess clock during the final to measure yeah, I mean, how long so the players were taking. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit more complicated than that, I think, um, in that we were we were using a chess clock-like format However, we were not measuring the total use of time. We were measuring um, a relative time in contrast to your opponent. So, for instance, a verbal warning was given out when um, essentially one player had used uh, 20 minutes and the other player had used 25. Okay. Uh, and then an additional verbal warning went out when the 20-minute player reached 30 and the 25 minute player reached 40 and the split grew by another five minutes. We we're like, okay, this continues to be a problem. We need to issue a warning, uh, like a, like a point warning. Um, and then later on in the, in the, in the tournament, in the, in that game, essentially one player, the player that was higher ended up 
actually being lower than the other player. And, and a warning was given in the other direction because um, the pace of play had kind of contrasted. Now, I, I want to preface all that, or not preface because we've already talked about it, but kind of say that um, this was a little bit of an imperfect system and we were kind of working with what we had. Um, the issue with chess clocks and slow play warnings generally is that based on the FFG organized play document, um, it is still conceivable that if you were using chess clocks, that a slow play warning would still be issued. Um, because slow play has to do with pace of play. And not total time usage. Um, correct. So that, that was kind of the fundamental. We, so we were using kind of slow play warnings in order to reach a game state in which the game finished. However, slow play warnings are not um, you know, if, if the game doesn't finish on time, that doesn't mean that slow play warnings should be issued, if that makes sense. So typically what we talk about, like in the context of chess clocks is total time usage. Like if you have three hours to play, each player gets 90 minutes. And when right. you hit 90 minutes, you stop doing things basically. Um, but right. if you want to spend 10 minutes doing one thing, you're more than welcome to because that time is your time. Whereas the FFG floor rules don't necessarily support, like if you want to spend 10 minutes doing one thing and then the next activation, just spend 30 seconds doing it. Like that's not okay under the FFG floor rules because spending 10 minutes doing one thing would be affecting the pace. Even if your total time usage ends up being the same or less than your opponent. Is that accurate? Uh, Yes. That's basically what it boils down to is that, yeah, I mean like, you, you have to be playing at a reasonable pace for like per activation essentially um per activation is a is a not the best way to put it because sometime like you need to play just as fast as your opponent even if you have more activations um but you can kind of like you know look at it like you know i shouldn't really be spending more than a minute per activation if you are um that should be a red flag and so um you know, we 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 stopwatched the finals because you know we had multiple games in the in the top eight basically end on turn four, and um, that's no fun. That's not really the results we're looking for in tournaments. Um, you know, games Legion games are made to be you know kind of run to their completion over six turns. Um, so uh, you know, I, I was. You know, Brendan was actually the one that came up with the solution. Um, and I, I, my hope is that we kind of see um, more solutions like this in the future. Um, you know, I think with pre- the ability to prepare it in advance, we can be a little bit less haphazard with it. You know, um, you know, being human beings, you know, our stopwatches were not perfect. And sometimes we got distracted for, you know, an extra 10 seconds or whatever. And, you know... Um, they definitely were not precise as the, as precise as they could have been, but they they definitely served their function. Yeah, and so it's worth clarifying too. This was with the sort of like already extended uh, time limit under the new tourney regs, um, which is I believe two and a half hours plus fifteen for setup and fifteen to finish the round. Um, is that accurate? Yeah. yeah. Yes, it was. So I, I believe it was essentially each round if you took it to hard dice down was two hours and 45 minutes, I believe. Uh, okay. I think I actually, I actually I think, think it's three. I think. 
but it might be. But in any case, this, it, it's two forty-five. Yeah, in right? any case, this is after the round times have, had already been extended to like the new longer round times. Yeah, and I think you know this sort of boils down to you know if people feel like they have the time, they're going to take it. Um, Legion's a very complicated game. There's a lot of variables that go into decision making, and in order to make sure that we have games finishing to turn six completion, some sort of um, regulation is probably going to need to be put in place um, about that. Uh, you know, I think that um, Brendan had mentioned uh, at one point on the on Discord that uh, it's likely that maybe the top cut at Worlds is going to be timed in some fashion. It's kind of unclear as to how that would be done presently. Um, but I do think that if you're playing competitively at a, you know, LVO Nova level event or higher, um, you should kind of start taking into consideration uh, the time in which it takes you to play the game. And I think too, right now there's this like, to me, there's not enough of an expectation right now in the community that if you go to a tournament, that it's both players' responsibility to get to six turns. Um, there's kind of this like mentality, like, well, if you lose on turn four, you know, because you f- didn't grab a box on turn four and you thought the game was going to go to turn five, that's your fault for not grabbing the box early enough. Um, yep. I think there's a couple fundamental like errors in that way of thinking. The first is that when you start the game, like you don't know that it's going to end on turn four, right? It's not like you yep. pre-agree with your opponent how many turns you're going to play. Like even on turn four, it may not be clear that it's going to end on turn four. Um, so the first is that, right? But the game was not designed to be played with like a variable turn length that is not known at any given point in the game. Um, and the second is there are units like Tauntauns where the reason they work so well is because they prevent you from doing that early in the game, right? Like it might have been impossible to grab that box on turn four or even turn five. But on turn six, you know, once you finally cleared the Tauntauns out of your way, then you can do it. Um, yeah, so it's not, I mean, that, you, you, it's it, not it's, that you had a mental lapse and failed to do something. It's just that you were, you know, incapable of doing so until a given point in, in the turn sequence. Yeah, I mean, it, it is notable that um, several of the, the top eight games kind of played out like that, specifically with Tauntauns, and that they ended on turn four, and... You know, it, to be fair, um, the Tauntaun player didn't always win those turn four games, so it kind of balanced out. Um, but the point is, there were games where the result would have been different, clearly different. Like a player just had to do some action on the next turn had they actually been completed. Yes. You know, I've cleared out the Tauntauns, everything's good to go. I really need turn five. And I actually, you know, um, not to kind of my intention here is not to toot my own horn here, but um, if you go back and watch my game with Ed um, from the second day uh, and you watch it through to completion, if you watch the end of it, it's kind of um, indicative. We, we played a very, very uh, tight game. It was, you know, a lot of decisions went into it. um, And it became apparent to me with about seven minutes left on the clock and, and on turn five, um, that we were probably not going to make turn six. Um, and so I made a very active choice 
at that point to pass with all of my units. To, to sort of make sure um, that you made it to turn six or. Yeah. Essentially what I needed to have happen was I went with Bosk on turn five and I needed to go with boss on turn six. Like he was the only unit that mattered. That was how I was going to win the game. So I was like, okay, I need another turn. I literally, I, every time I pull out of the bag, I just put it face down on the table and said, go. Um, so my activations were about three seconds. Um, and we made it to turn six with 35 seconds left on the clock. Yep. I've, um, I've, I've done that and, in games too. Yeah. And, and so um, I think that, you know, A, you need to be conscious of, of how fast you're playing. And B, you need to be conscious of what you need to do personally in order to make sure that the game reaches completion. Um, <clears throat> so, and if you do that too, so we're, we're talking about the current environment we exist in, which is not one where chess clocks are a thing and you have a, right. and you have a judge observing, um, which, you know, happens sort of just naturally, especially at these top tables. Like if you're doing that and it's clear that you're making an effort to push the game to another turn, you know, you spend three seconds putting your activation face down and doing nothing. And then your opponent spends five minutes doing something. Then that makes it much easier for the judge to make a decision about what's happening. If that makes sense. Right. Yeah, it, when when it's clear that the one person is saying, "Okay, this we you know we need to speed up the game state in order to finish this game," um, and the other one is refusing to do so, and Ed was very gracious. You know, we didn't even talk about the time in our game. I kind of just let him do his thing. I'm sure that he was aware of what I was doing. You know, it, it you know the jig is up when your opponent is spending no actions. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's very clear that, uh, you know, you could um, maybe potentially manipulate the situation uh, into a place where, you know, if they've decided they need another turn, they don't get it. Um, and, and, you know, thank you, Ed, for not, you know, doing that. But, um, you know, th- not every player is going to be like that. And so, the issue that we have is, you know, if, if you find yourself in a game with five minutes left and you need another turn, you know, so slow play isn't really helpful at that point. You know, it's the, the time has already been used up. You, you know, um, and you're at this point where you could make another turn. You could not it. And, and based on whether you get to the next turn, you're going to win or lose the game. Um, th- that's not how Legion should end up frankly and i think as a community and um we we need to figure out how to how to fix yep and that's this happened um you know the warhammer 40k community went through the same evolution um now that game is 30 years old you know legion is two years old um but they essentially reached the same point where they were extending around times and games were still weren't finishing like um people just filled the time so um, you know, at least and I, so they, they decided that, you know, they would, uh, after the cut in tournaments, use chess clocks and it like, so let's, uh, I want to briefly soapbox about chess clocks since we're talking about time. Um, if there's, I wanted to spell a myth about whether or not chess clocks would actually solve the problem. They would, would hundred percent solve the problem. Um, like they did in 40 K, um, like if people, if, if people are on a clock, you know, they'll, they'll just, they'll play faster. Um, you know, uh, Luke Cook actually 
just for fun, like in one of his practice games, tried a chess clock with uh, someone else that he was playing with. It was, it was a local guy that was actually like relatively new to the game, so not someone that was super experienced. Um, and Luke had also never used a chess clock before. They finished the game in less than an hour and a half, full six-turn game. They, they each used less than 45 minutes. Um, and it's just because they were thinking about time, you know? And he said they were there were even like several times when they just forgot to click it back and forth, and it wasn't even a big deal. They were just like, "Oh, my bad," you know. And they were a few seconds late or whatever, so they clicked it. Uh, but just the fact that they were yeah. thinking like it was on their mind that they had to play faster, you know, made it such that they finished their entire game in ninety minutes. I think just being just just the fact that you have a clock there that says this is how much time you have left, you know. There's the, the thing about the shared clock is that it's it's this is how much we have left and that doesn't necessarily put the onus on you unless it's in your benefit for it to be the the onus to be on you which is which is if i win the game when the clock expires um you know it, it becomes important but if you know we're in a chess clock situation um you always are tracking that time. And I mean, I think that it would benefit people to just use a, kind of like the stopwatch thing like me and Brendan did just to gauge how much time you're using in contrast to your yep. opponent. Um, Cause I, I don't, I don't think that that's always clear to people. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll confess to like, um, I mean, I think that I play pretty fast, but I don't actually know that, you know, I mean, you know, in, in our spare time when we're just kind of like playing to play, you know, it's not, totally uncommon for us to have a four hour right. game if we're really kind of like measuring and doing all the stuff and, and figuring out what the best play to make in a given situation is. Um, you know, I, I feel pretty confident that if the round times were four hours, we would still have games that don't go to yep. completion, you know? Um, so the question becomes, you know, how, how do we stop that and what is the punishment or, you know, yeah, so, so maybe we should briefly explain like what a chess clock is for those that have never used one. It's essentially a device where like um, it's it's got like a, a lever on it, you know, with two sides, and when you tap your side, the, the clock starts counting upwards. Uh, and then, you know, when you tap it again, the clock transfers back to your opponent. Your 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 time freezes, and your opponent's clock starts counting upwards. So, um, like when you're setting up a chess clock for a game like chess or you know, uh, like they do in 40k, each player gets half the time available. So if you're playing a three-hour game, each player gets 90 minutes. And then when your clock hits 90, um, at least in 40k, you just you you stop doing things. You're not allowed to do anything anymore because you've used up your half the time, right? So, um, you know, you can still like roll defense dice and stuff, but that's it. You can't activate any more units or or do anything else, um, which usually is like an auto loss, unless you've absolutely like crushed your opponent before that point um but like in practice uh neither player like typically even gets there because both players are playing faster and you just you finish the game in the time allotted neither player hits hits their halfway point um there's no auto loss situation you just finish that's that's typically what happens like in practice um so now the question is like so this would solve the time issues at tournaments. I guess the following question, and I know a lot of people have expressed a legitimate concern about like, does this turn people off from participating in the competitive scene? And then more broadly, like if 
if a new player shows up to uh, their local game store and they see two players playing Legion, and those two players happen to be competitive players that are practicing for a tournament and they're using a chess clock, does that turn them off from Legion? Um, and I, I definitely hear that concern. I, mean, I think it's a legitimate one. Um, and I think it's worth talking about. Like, I think people have to be constructive about the narrative we're building here, right? Um, it, you know, if you want to be a negative Nancy about chess clocks, like that is certainly your right. But I think that um, it's it's helpful if people essentially take a more constructive approach and say this is this is to solve an issue with you know how legion um is essentially essentially works under time constraints um and you you don't have to play this way you you can if you want and if you play at high level competitive events um you know this is something that you probably should get used to you know but if you're just rolling dice with you know you're your buddies and having a few beers like do whatever you want you know um I, I think as long as the narrative is not bent out of shape that shouldn't be nearly the issue that people feel like it's going to be yeah i tend to agree with that but i definitely understand the concern and i understand the argument um and if we ever moved to some kind of time measuring impl- implementation like chess clocks in legion i think we'd have to be super careful to do it in a way uh, that did not turn off newer players. And I, I think there are ways to do that, but I think it's like, I think it's a super valid concern that, um, you know, we being the competitive community shouldn't just be like, well, we want chess clocks. So uh, who cares um, about new players and how they perceive it? Um, I think that, I think that we definitely need to be conscious of that concern kind of as we have this discussion. But I'm with you. I think there are ways to do it um, to keep the impact kind of isolated just to the people that want it, um, that being the competitive community. So, you know, I think it's worth talking about how to do that. But, um, you know, I definitely hear that concern and I get it. Uh, but I think I think that the, the benefits outweigh the costs there, especially like, I mean, you look at some of these games on stream where they get to turn four and it takes them three hours to do it. And it's like, it's not a good watching experience, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, as long as we're talking about that specifically, I, I, you know, it's, it's one thing if you get like to the end of turn five, beginning of turn six, but if you're ending the game on turn four, that was a takes two to tango. Right. The situation. Like, like that is not one person soaking up all the time. Um, and, and frankly, if it was one person soaking up all the time, that means it's like, you know, it's something like two hours to one hour. And you should know that. And you should have known that you should have done something well in advance of the game finishing in order for it to reach completion. Um, so, you know, I mean, and, and to be fair, most of the games that we see end on turn four, it's two slow players, um, you know, kind of tangoing and their combined slowness makes it so that they don't get to where they need to go um and you know that presents a a problem from a judge perspective you know i i think that um in the future you know my recommendation would would be that both players should receive warnings um if a game does not um complete to six turns 
Well, and that's that's what I mean when I talk about like changing the expectations of the community community generally. Like, I think it's important to emphasize that the game is supposed to be six turns, and players are expected to help it get there. Um, yeah, you know, there's. I, I don't like this mentality where you're like, well, you're showing up to a tournament, games are going to be four, five, or six turns, and you should just expect that. Like, that's not that's not acceptable to me. Um, personally, uh, like I feel like the game should be six turns. It should be both players' goal to reach six turns, even if doing so loses you the game, because that is a more, that is a more yeah, complete I, I, and honest result. Um, yep. So, anyway, that's enough about time. Uh, we should get to Luke Cook. We actually have another hot topic that we didn't even get to, and by hot topic, I'm literally talking about burning things. Um, <laughs> maybe not. Well, yeah, burning not things, literally but... burning things, uh, but. Metaphorically, Metaphorically um, we, we can talk about this next week because I think we could talk about it for a bit. So we'll go ahead and push it, but I'll tease it. Uh, there were four invites available at LBO. Uh, none of them were given out <laughs> because every single player in the top eight had one already. Um, so, I mean, LBO is late in the season. It's, I guess it's not that weird, but... Well, I mean, it's notable that... Um... People could have used those invites for next year, I believe. Uh, if well, not them. under the current rules. I I think that they specifically said that LVO is no. I don't I don't think it meets the time. Um, so it doesn't. Not only does it not meet the um, it, it the time cutoff by a couple of days, but if you if you are using an invite for 2020, you cannot earn another one until after you've used that invite. And in, in other words, oh. Yeah, totally. That that's definitely true. But I I think I want to say, and I'm not positive. I recall somebody jumping, like a an employee uh, jumping into LVO chat and saying that they would be. Um, oh, okay, like if like if you didn't if you did not want to use your 2020 invite, and you earned one at LVO, you could essentially forego that 2020 invite and bank your LVO invite for 2021. Okay. Correct. Correct. Um, it is was my understanding that that may not be true. Um, in any case, everybody in the top eight um, already had an invite, so it didn't matter. Yep. Uh, and we can talk about whether that's good or bad, and maybe how to address that in the future next week. Um, but we should get to Luke Cook. So let's go ahead and do that. And we are back with. LVO champion Luke Cook, world champion Luke Cook. Um, you got any more titles that you want to like add on there, Luke? <laughs> well, I was I was trying to get the Invader League, but uh, you know, didn't work out this season. We'll get it next season. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's another bite at that apple, I think. Yeah, we'll, we'll give yeah. him the Slayer of Darth Vader title for uh, for now. Yeah, you yeah you guys actually played each other in the last round of. Uh, of day one of Saturday. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yep. That was an intense yeah. match. <clears throat> I, uh, had, had Bosk dealt one more wound to Palp, it probably would have went the other way, but alas, it was not meant to be. So, um, you just decided like at the last minute that you would fly in and crash LVO. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. So it was like Friday and I was, I was, doing a little bit of drinking and I was, uh, LJ said like, you know, there's still some spots open. I was like, you know what? That sounds like a good idea. I'm going, I think I'm going to go. So I wake up Saturday and I was like, you know what? I'm a man of my word. I said I was going to go. So I bought the tickets Saturday before, you know, five days 
And uh, yeah, I just went. I uh, asked um, around if there was people that I could crash with, and I found a place. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad I did it. Yeah, so you, <laughs> you ended up bringing uh, Palpatine. Uh, do you want to yes. talk about how that how you uh, arrived at Palpatine and just talk about generally like how the list works and why you felt like it worked for you at LVO? Uh, sure. So <clears throat> I was either going to run Palpatine, uh, a double ATSC list that I was kind of playing around with, or um, double the fall. And ultimately, you know, I went with Palp. Um, I just felt like it was going to be the most fun for me to play. Um, also, um, I figured that I would play a lot of Tawns. Um, so Palpatine and his uh, ability to counter the Tawn meta uh, um, is the main reason I chose it, I think. Also, I, w- I was a little bit concerned on the maps. I mean, I know that, um, you know, Brendan does a great job and LJ do a great job of uh, acquiring the tables. But um, I was a little worried because this was the biggest event that maybe they'd be a little sparser. Um, so Pelp with the three snipers in it and a couple shores, you know, he can kind of gun line, hold up to a gun line better than, uh, the, uh, the double the fall list. Cause the, they, they really need the, the line of sight blocking to advance, you know, Dooku and Grievous, uh, more so than Pelp cause he has guardian and medics and things. So that's kind of, that's kind of my thoughts on how I chose to go with that list. <laughs> And this is actually the same list. Uh, you had a local prime just a, a week or two before LVO. Is that accurate? Yep. Yep. So it was uh, the prime at um, Just Games in Rochester, New York. And yeah, I brought the same list to it. Um, and I, I won that event. Um, I think it was five rounds. That was that was a long day. Um, so would you, that prime would, event. would you say New York is the best place to play Legion? Oh, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think we got like seven or eight people with invites and we still have a couple more events here. Um, So we could have as many as 10 people showing up to Worlds. Uh, Jay made made me ask that question for the record. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So talk real quick. uh, Do you have like a favorite sweatiest moment from all of your games? Oh, sweatiest moment. There was, there was a lot of them, to be honest. Um, it was was weird because, um, my games would go one of two ways. And I, you know, I I don't say this like to be rude to some of my opponents, but, um, it would either be a concession very early or it would be a turn six game and Pelp would just win it for me. Um, and it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't like be like a middle ground in between there. It was just, it was just either, you know, a very good uh, counter. Like my list was a very good counter to what the opponent was playing, and I would just kind of, you know, it was e- easy for me for for the game. Like I played against clones, and I had four snipers essentially because of pull the strings. So that's just gonna tear through their um, red save defense. And uh, let's see. So sweatiest moment. I mean, oh, man, there was a few. Um, in dashes and I game our game um, that was the fourth game of uh, the day two heat um, Pelp had to do and then now you will die in the final turn and essentially what he did he double moved 
to the right of this building so he could get line of sight on two uh, Stormtrooper units. And he zapped both of them. Uh, we were playing KP, so... Um, and then Bosk followed up. Did he? Was he doing uh, Reptilian Rampage? He was was yeah, it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so he had a, he had uh, two shots to kill uh, Palpatine. On I think he had two wounds left. Yep. Um, something like that. So uh, it was it was risky, but I had it was the only play I had to do, and Palp ended up uh, dodging the the lizard man on that game. That was sweaty. Um, Obviously, the the final day, the first game against Nemo was super sweaty. Um, there was a couple key moments there. Uh, Pelp saving three for three was huge. Um, I think my command card order, you know, that one turn where I played and now you will die. And I think, well, I actually, I actually ended up watching the game like last night. And a lot of people were kind of confused about my play there. And I had do I had done a bunch of measurements, and basically what was going to happen is if I played um, "Give Into Your Anger" when he played "No Time for Sorrows," there was no way for me to um, double move my guard and base Sabine after the speed one. So I had to play a "Now You Will Die" and kind of use the mobilized tokens to pin her down. And so that was that was a really good game. Um, and then the final, I. That one came right down to the wire as well. Um, you know, a couple key things there in the last turn. Uh, my snipers being pulled the strings and killing the DTs. Uh, mortar rolling two crits in the veers and finally finishing him off. And then also my guard were able to melee that mortar on the on the KP there too. So uh, a couple things that I just got lucky with, I guess, that went my way. Um so really good games. Yeah, you by won by, by what, like ten points, uh, ultimately. Yeah, it was, it, fourteen. I it was okay. like fourteen after I added it all up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It was. I killed four hundred seven, and he had killed three ninety three. Man, that's that's uh, both super bloody and super close. Yeah, yeah, it was really crazy. And so, actually, in that game, it was another similar situation to what me and Dashes had, where. Bosk had a chance to claim the uh, bounty. And so, actually, I didn't know that uh, Pelp could kill himself. I, I learned that <laughs> after the tournament. Yep. Um, so, I, that was that was something I learned, and that could have been huge if I would have just done that. But, um, you know, I was kind of thinking about it afterwards, and say I did that, now, now his Bosk has an opportunity to shoot my other units or... Um, maybe he suppresses them down in the panic because Pelp is now gone, um, or he double double moves Boss onto the KP. There's, I don't, I'm not sure that it was so important that I that I didn't do that. Yeah, that he makes could sense. he could have um, triple moved into the KP, I think, pretty easily. Right. There were yeah, there was other things they could have done instead. So. Yep. Um, but yeah, yeah, that was important to learn. I did not realize that. Yeah, so he can, uh, he does not get to make the last attack, but um, he can, in fact, kill himself with the now you will die. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. yeah, I was, I was watching that game. I was in the chat. I was like, is he going to kill himself? Um, and then you didn't. <laughs> I, I do think, to your point, I actually think it worked out better that way. Yeah. Um, right. Because it made, you know, I think it, it, it went to a 2 2 tie anyway, and it made Bosk focus on working to kill Palpatine instead of doing something else. 
Um, right. So it's probably like sort of a wash, but yeah, that was kind of my thoughts thinking about it after. Um, actually, another sweaty moment in that game was during that turn right away. Pelp had nine suppression. I'm like, all right, so he just has to roll off two. Statistically, I'm going to roll off three, um, you know, to get his actions. But uh, he, I rolled 0 for 4. Then I rolled 1 for 4. So I had eight suppressions still down. And then on my last uh, roll, I rolled the, the shield. And so he was not uh, panicking, which was huge. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if he panics there, it's just the, the way you uh, the way you did that roll made it super tense because <laughs> you got one one pain on your first eight dice and it's like oh my gosh yeah you could straight panic no, i was sweating on that that was definitely sweating um so do you want to talk about like your command card sequencing and how you generally approach a game yeah, sure so um, um with your palpatine the list? first two rounds is uh about um utilizing your sniper advantage so you have um, assault and you have uh, an an entire legion so those two cards are usually back to back i usually would play uh, assault first and followed by entire legion um, just because usually you know first turn most of the things don't matter except for the snipers um, and then second turn you know you get all those aims on your shores and things so um, what happens is you know i got range five so i set up you know, sniper positions, ready to go, um, play the assault. I, I know that I'll be going first with my snipers because I don't know another list out there that really has the, the capabilities of putting orders on their snipers like that list does. Um, another thing that I had going for me was aggressive tactics. So my snipers now surge, basically. Um, so that gives me better chances to hit. And then I also have pulling the strings with Pelp. So I basically have four snipers. Um, and one thing that you can do, it's a good tactic, is if your sniper happens to roll, you know, two hits or a hit and a surge on their first roll and they're taking aim, you save that aim for a pull of the strings later on. So now they have an aim shot, um, which is really nice. So that's kind of how the first two turns go. Um, second turn, now I have more order control because my entire army has orders. Um, third turn, you know, would typically be push typically, um, or maybe standing orders, depending on how I'm feeling. Um, really after, after like the opening turns of sniper fire, I really just am focused on having orders on the guard and pelp for the most part. Those are the two important pieces after, you know, opening sniper fire. Um, I, I would hold and now you will die and uh, give into your anger almost every time in every game until turn five and six. Um, those cards are just so important to to how you win the game with Pelp. Um, and now you will die. Obviously, he can just go up there and delete units um, off a of KP or intercept or, you know, taunts if they're in your face. Um, and then give into your anger is... I would say the best card in the game. I don't know how you guys feel about that. No, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, uh, agreed. So I think it's the best card in the game. It essentially, you know, forces your opponent to go with some scrub off in the corner. Um, and then you can go with whatever you want. 
So if you have priority, you essentially have two activations back to back before they can make any, um, you know, um, counterplay. And so a lot of the time, like in the game versus Nima, um, my guard were able to like double activate almost because I would pull the strings on them. They would charge and then they would charge again and have their full activation. Um, so that card's just really good. Um, basically it won, it won me, I would say two or three games and then, and now you will die won me two or three games. Um, those two cards just win games for you as a pelt player. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how my, how my battle cards would lay out. Um, so would you make any changes or improvements to the list? Um, I don't think so. The The list is so tight as it is points and everything, the upgrades. I, I don't see, I don't see any changes that I would make personally. Um, having two medics in there was really nice. Um, with the aggressive techs, uh, guardian from the IRG, um, you're able to bounce wounds around how you want to. And then you're also, you know, you got the four heal charges that you can spend whenever you want. Um, so it was, it was really hard for my opponents to focus down units. Um, one thing that you could do, you could kind of go into the, uh, the bouncing, uh, comms relay thing. So what you could do is you could drop a medic and you could put two comms relays on your mortars and you could put, uh, battle meditation on pelp. So essentially what you do is you use battle meditation, um, on the turns where it says, you know, ever Palpatine has to get an order. Uh, and then you give it to one of the shores who bounces it to the mortar, who bounces it to the next shore, who bounces it to the mortar, who bounces it back to Pelp. Um, but I think having that second um, medic in there is might be more important than that, than those free aims. Um, so that's that's only the, the one change that I would How did you maybe. F- but everything else. How'd you feel about the environmental gear on the guard? How often was that useful? Oh, oh, that was, that was so nice. Um, it's, it doesn't come up a lot, but you know, when it does and you're just speeding over everything and everybody else has to slow down, it feels so good not to care about terrain. Like you can just run over things and it, it, it is really nice when it, when you need it. Um, like for instance, in my game at first, uh, First Nima there, I was just running over boxes and not even caring. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's actually, that's the, uh, uh, I run something very similar and it's, that's the upgrade that I've been waffling on just because um, I like to have a bid, but mm-hmm. I think like a five point bid at this point is kind of not a bid. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, right. It's like, I um, think we've gotten to the point in the game where if somebody wants to bid, they're going to have at least seven or eight points and then the rest of the people are just like, two points maybe you know i don't know yeah so the difference between 795 and 798 you're like i'm probably going to lose the bit anyway to somebody that's really trying so i might as well just get another good upgrade in there yeah all right well do you have any uh you have any parting shots any any trash talk in advance (laughs) of worlds Um, uh uh sure i got one um ed you're you're gonna be putting another body bag out there at worlds just so you know Draw day. I'm coming for you this time. You're not going to dodge me. <laughs> so, 
So uh, Ed is Ed is a man of his word. He was joking <laughs> that he was going to put people in body bags, and then after he lost to Mike, um, he apparently actually bought a body bag and brought it to LVO. He <laughs> he arrived day two. People were carrying him in a body bag um, into the hall. Um, he arrived in an actual body bag. So Ed Ed Martinez, a man of his word, yeah, that, uh, the best kind funny. of troll. Um, all right. Well, well. Yeah. Well, thanks, Luke. Uh, has your dad built you a trophy shelf yet for your, your um, all your regional? Uh, yeah, we're working on it. We're working on it. <laughs> I got a lot of hardware. Now. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, um, uh, I'm glad. I just want to say that uh, that was one of the best Legion events I've I've been to. Um, I personally was just going out there just to have fun in Vegas and play. I was going to play one day of Legion. I really wasn't expecting to make that that far with the list um i knew that there was going to be some really good competition out there and you know uh lj and brendan did an awesome job as always so i can't wait to go next year definitely going to go next year yep it's, it's a great event um definitely highly recommend i i didn't wasn't able to go this year but i definitely went last year and it was super fun and everyone that went this year seems to have the same feedback that you do so um it won't be quite the same, but uh, make sure to bring the fireball whiskey to uh, a death count. <laughs> yeah, I know. That was funny. Um, I think it was like in the final match, Brendan was like, uh, could you move that off the stream? And I was like, sure. And then uh, it was uh, Kodak bought me a beer and that came in clutch. So <laughs> my hands, he, he said he saw my hands were shaking. So I needed a beer. <laughs> Calm me down. But well, my plan was to get you drunk for Worlds, but maybe that's counterproductive. Yeah, yeah. I, I warned people. I was like, you know, that's when I do my best work sometimes. I'm from Buffalo, so, you know, we're, we're used to our drinking out here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, good luck, yeah. um, and we'll see you We'll, we'll see you in yeah, a couple months. Sure. So that was Lou Cook, uh, and uh, he has not only now won the World Championship this year, but he's also won LVO. So, of course, we'll be seeing him in a few months at AdeptCon. Um, and we talked about a lot of things today um, related to Las Vegas Open. And I'm excited next week to talk about some other stuff, including burning invites. So um, we are the Notorious Scoundrels. And we will uh, see you next week. Later. Join us next week for another episode of The Notorious Scoundrels. This has been a Fifth Trooper production. 